Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. Welcome, everyone, to Creating a Family. Talk about adoption and infertility. Today is going to be our annual adoption tax credit show. As always, this is a very popular show, and I think it will be again this year. Here's a sample of what you're going to hear. One of the things that I highly recommend to everyone, if they do have to send in more documentation, again, make sure it's good copies. Do not send your originals in. And whoever is the primary taxpayer on the tax return, put their Social Security number at the top of every page in red Sharpie. That way, if the documentation is separated, that it will have a better chance of getting back to where it originally needs to be with that tax return, with that person or that family claiming the adoption tax credit. I'm Dawn Davenport, the Director of Creating a Family. We're the National Adoption and Infertility Education and Support Organization, and you can find us online at creatingafamily.org. And thank you, by the way, for all the nice emails we have been receiving um, about the new website. Um, We are extremely pleased, and so thank you. It it means a lot. Thank you. And if anybody else wants to send us complimentary emails, please do. You can reach us at info, I-N-F-O, at creatingafamily.org. We are a weekly national radio show. And we use the podcast model. And by using the podcast model, you can listen whenever and wherever you want. You can also subscribe to the podcast to get notice of each new episode on whatever device you use to to listen, be it your phone, your tablet, or your computer. You can uh, subscribe at iTunes. You can subscribe on whatever the uh, service you're using on your phone. Or you can go to our website, creatingafamily.org slash radio show, and subscribe there. The Creating a Family radio show is underwritten by our corporate sponsor, Faring Pharmaceutical. Fighting cancer doesn't have to mean a loss of fertility. If you or a loved one are facing cancer, you may be eligible for no-cost medication through Faring's Heartbeat Program. To learn more, you can visit their website, heartbeatprogram.com, or you can talk to your oncologist or if you are seeing a reproductive endocrinologist, either one of those uh, doctors would be able to give you more information about that program. This show, as well as all the resources provided by Creating a Family, could not happen without the generous support of our gold sponsors, who believe in our mission of providing unbiased education and support to pre- and post-adoptive families, as well as to the infertility patient community. Some of our wonderful gold sponsors include Hopscotch Adoptions. They are a national adoption agency with offices in North Carolina and New York, and they place children from Bulgaria, Georgia, Ghana, Armenia, Morocco, Serbia, and Ukraine. We also have the law offices of James Fletcher Thompson. They are a South Carolina law firm committed to both adoption as well as assisted reproductive law. Uh, 
And we have Children's Connection. They are an adoption agency, and they have offices literally throughout all of Texas. And they provide domestic infant adoption services, embryo donation services, and as well as home studies and post-adoption support to families throughout the United States. And we also have, those were a few of our gold sponsors, but we also have other great sponsors whose generosity allows us to bring you this show. We ask that when choosing an adoption service provider, please consider choosing one from the Creating a Family directories, which you can find on the service provider page of our site. You can search by location, services provided, years in operation, just a lot of factors that we think are important when choosing, and we think you will as well. And by using these directories, you support those who support us, and we thank you. Well, as I said, today we're going to be talking about the adoption tax credit and how it has changed. So it's really going to be applicable to, we do one every year. So this one we're titling 2014-2015. And the reason we do that is people are always confused whether they're asking questions because they're filing in 2015. They are concerned that uh, that when they're searching for the show that uh, they don't know whether to be looking for 2014 when the expenses were incurred. Anyway, long story, but we're, we were titling it Adoption Tax Credit 2014-2015. So if you've had adoption expenses in 2014, can you get a federal tax credit for them? Our guests today are Becky Wilmoth. She is an enrolled agent and adoption tax credit specialist at Bill's Tax Service in Centralia and O'Fallon, Illinois. We also have have back once again Josh Kroll. He is the Adoption Tax Credit and Adoption Subsidy Coordinator at the North American Council on Adoptable Children, also known as NACAC. Welcome, Becky Wilmoth and Josh Kroll, to Creating a Family. Thanks, Don. Great to be back. Thank you, Don. Glad to be here today. Well, let's start with just a uh, – let's see if there have been any changes. Let's start at the beginning there. Josh, have there been any changes since since you were on this show almost exactly a year ago uh, talking about the adoption tax credit for 2013-2014? So now we're talking a year later about 2014-2015. So have there been any changes to the adoption tax credit this year? Only, only to the amounts um, available and then the MAGI limits. Um, and the, where what was the, what was the, the last thing you said? The, <laughs> the MAGI limits, the modified adjust, adjusted gross income. Yeah. Um, and then that's gone up a little bit with cost of living. Gotcha. Okay, we're gonna uh, we will talk specifically. Well, actually, so the next question is we got a question from Christy, and she wants to know how much is the tax credit for this year. Uh, Becky, why don't you go ahead and handle that question from Christy? Okay, the the amount for 2014 was 13,190 um non-refundable and for 2015 is 13,400 and at this this point it is still non-refundable. Okay. So that's so the, the for people applying this year it will be for, right now, hoping with the deadline coming up on April 15th, it will be for expenses incurred in 2014. So their credit will be 13000 uh Did you say 150? What did you say? 13190 I had 90. I just wrote it so sloppily I couldn't see it. All right, and non-refundable. Well, that brings up <laughs> a question that is continually confusing to people. Uh, so, Josh, it's the issue of what do we mean by non-refundable or refundable, and and we were just told, Becky just said that, that what we have this year is non-refundable. So what do we mean by that, and how does it differ? Right. When the tax credit is non-refundable, the amount of the credit that you can use 
um, not how much you claim, but how much you can use of the credit is limited by your tax liability. Most people have no idea what people are talking about when they say tax liability. And if you've ever done your taxes by hand or watched someone do them by hand, it's the number you bring back from the tax tables. If that's the, the max amount of the adoption credit you can use in a year. It might even be lower if there are other credits that take precedence before the adoption tax credit. Whereas when it's refundable, you basically get back all the credit that you can claim minus you know any reductions from having a really high income, the modified adjusted gross income limits I was mentioning. All right, but it is non-refundable this year. Becky, you just said, okay. at least as of this point right now, it's in, in non-refundable for 2015. What did you mean by that? Is there um, is there something on the horizon we need to know about, about refundability that does not apply, everyone? Listen to the audience, I'm not talking about for what you're filling out in your TurboTax or, or giving to your tax preparer right now for 2014, but we're talking now 2015. I'm just curious, because uh, you said that, so w- w- anything on the horizon that you're thinking of, Becky? Well, um, we are advocating very strongly for it to become refundable again, and we are sponsors of several of the organizations in the Adoption Tax Credit Working Group. And, I mean, we have a new Congress now, and so we're hoping um, that the Adoption Tax Credit Refundability Act um, will get to this Congress. And um, we encourage everyone to contact their senators and representatives because if we can get more people to co-sponsors the, the bills, the more likely they are to pass. So, you know, we want to do everything that we can to try and get this refundable again because it helps a lot more people when it's refundable. And, yeah, and, and for those of you, our audience, a lot of them are a part of our social network community, which is, is huge. And uh, you will see that we uh, post fairly frequently about things that you can do to advocate for this. So that's a good place, and as well as going to the NACAC site, which I will give you at the end of this show. Okay, so for this year, it is non-refundable, and that's the thing. That's the take-home message for people that are, that we're listening to. All right, let's break this out by type of adoption, and and kind of and, and so for each type of adoption, well, I'd like to talk about what expenses are eligible, and then when you can claim these expenses. So let's start with foster care adoption, Josh. What what expenses are eligible? How does foster care adoption work in the uh, adoption with the adoption tax credit? Well, typically foster care adoptions have very little cost to the adoptive family, um, and so um, since 2003, um, the law has allowed children who are determined to be special needs by the state to qualify for the full amount of the credit, regardless of the expenses that are paid by the family. Um, If they are not tying it to um, specific expenses, it is taken in the year um, that the adoption is finalized. So if I'm fostering a child in 2013, I don't pay any expenses in 2013, and then I adopt the child in 2014, um, I claim the credit in 2014. I claim the full amount of the credit if the state determined the child's special needs which typically means do they get adoption subsidy? It could also be um, in some instances if they get a deferred agreement that provides either Medicaid or non-recurring adoption expenses, um, that should be sufficient for the IRS also um, to be considered special needs, even if the monthly payment isn't there. 
what document do people have to submit uh, in order to prove special needs status for foster care adoption? They don't, at, at this point, um, in both 2013 taxes and 2014 taxes, the IRS, well, actually 2012 also, they did not require that families send in supporting documentation, but what they'll want to keep as records to prove special needs is their adoption assistance agreement. Okay. All right. So it's the adoption assistance agreement. You don't have to submit it, but you need to have it in your records in case you are asked to submit it. Correct. Plus, it's a really important document they should keep in the records regardless. Right. Yeah, that would be. Um, All right. So... Uh, and you've, so you've handled both the when you can claim it as well as the what expenses are eligible. All right. Becky, can you talk to us about domestic infant adoption? What expenses are eligible and when can you claim those expenses? Now, for domestic infant adoption, um, the adoption expenses um, are costs directly related to the adoption and that are reasonable and necessary for the adoption. Um, Eligible expenses are uh, agency fees, legal fees, court costs, traveling expenses, uh, home study uh, costs and expenses. Um, Now, the important thing to remember about domestic adoption is, you know, sometimes you have expenses over several years, um, and and you do have two choices. Um, when it comes to domestic adoption. You can wait until the adoption is final. Of course, then you will have the uh, Social Security number or the ATIN number to attach to that child uh, when you claim the adoption tax credit, which, which does make it easier. Um, but one of the things about domestic where it is different than international or foster Say you had expenses, you paid expenses in um, 2013, and but the adoption was not final yet. Um, you cannot claim them on your 2013 return, but you can claim them on your 2014 return. It's not the year that you paid them; it's the following year you can claim them. Because I know sometimes, like I said, on domestic adoption, it. You you may have expenses over several years, Often and the actual fact, amount of the credit that you will actually the total that you will be eligible for will be the year that it's final. Okay, actually, we have a question that came in asking about what happens if you don't have a social security number yet for the child. What should you do when filing for the adoption tax credit? Becky, since you've already started that, uh, to answer that, go ahead and, and handle that question if you would, please. If they do not have a Social Security number, um, they can apply for an A10 number. Um, and one of the things is if you do not have that A10 number, um, you cannot electronically file the return. You can send the return in paper um, if you are claiming the adoption tax credit. I, if you are sending in paper, I would recommend that you make sure and have all of your um, agency fees and how it's paid, when it's paid, and all of those things because the IRS is going to request that information since you do not have a Social Security number or an ATIN number 
to put with that adoption tax credit. Um, that's why if, if you can wait until it's final, um, it's, it is a lot easier. Of course, it can go electronically now, and we're very thankful for that. It makes it so much easier. Um, and I just advise clients to get an envelope, market IRS documentation. I tell them what to put in the envelope, and that way if their documentation is ever requested, they've got it right there. They don't have to go back to their agency, to the courthouse, or anything else you know, to try and find it. So the the main issue is if you do not have a Social Security number or an A-10 number, then it will need to go paper because it will not electronically file. And you, I would suggest you attaching those uh, expenses and the confirmation of payment of those expenses to that return. All right. And, and would there be any disadvantage for simply waiting until the next year, other than I guess the concern would be, the uh, modified adjustable gross income issue or, or something like that, would, we, would there be any, what would be the, other than wanting to get your money and then have the use of your money up so, uh, sooner, um, would you recommend that people simply wait till the following year or are the, dis, are the disadvantages too big for that? Um, if if you can wait, um, like you mentioned, the the one, uh, if, if there's an issue, you know, with the income phase-out range, you know, um, because for 2015, uh, the phase-out range is $201,010 to $241,010. So, if you know, there's really no disadvantage for waiting until it's final unless it's because either they, you know, they're in a situation where they need to go ahead and take the credit, you know, for financial reasons, or if, you know, they're in jeopardy of the uh, adjusted gross income phase-out range. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. All right. This is Josh. I, the one thing, this, I just, one thing I want to say, and I don't know how wide-ranging this is, but I do know one family that had unsuccessful adoption. They, many years later, decided they were going to stop the process, and they went, they were going to go and file for the credit, and they were actually denied the credit because they didn't file in the year after they paid the expenses, and they ended up being closed years, so they couldn't go back and amend for a refund. I'm, you know, I'm not sure if that would really. I, I, I'm not sure how often the, the IRS might catch a scenario like that, but I do know at least one family that did lose out on the credit um, for a domestic private by waiting and not filing the year after they filed the credit. Well, you know, it kind of in some level you think, well, it's almost the you know, the bird in the hand versus two, you know, worth two worth two right. in the bush type of scenario where you think, gosh, I'd like to go ahead and have it. It's a certainty right now. There's no telling what the future is going to be. That type of thing. Um, so you might want to do it just for that reason. But I could, yeah. yeah. No. All right, let's make sure that we've kind of done this full circle here. Let's talk about international adoption. Josh, could you talk us about talk to us about what expenses are eligible and when can you claim them? Um, because international adoption differs, it does it not, from domestic infant and foster care? It, it differs in timing. The eligible expenses are just as Becky described for domestic infant adoptions. Um, you know, so agency fees, home study fees, travel costs, um, you know, things that are necessary for the legal process of adoption that are required for, for the family to be able to adopt. Um, but the timing, the adoption has to be final. Um, and, you know, you can't, and I, I had a couple of calls um, 
from Russia when Russia closed down a few years ago and families were out tens of or thirties of thousands of dollars um, and were wondering, can they still go for the tax credit? And unfortunately, the answer was no. Um, so um, it really does need to be final. Um, there are two revenue bulletins, one from 05 for non-Hague countries, one from 10 for Hague countries. I don't have them at hand. Sorry, I'm, I'm not in my office where I would have those. Um, that define when it's considered final, um, and the IRS allows you to have um, uh, to dis determine whether it's when it's finalized in country or if you uh, do another finalization process back in the U.S. Some states, I believe, require that. Um, in that case, you might have flexibility in which um, you know which year you consider the adoption final. Um, you know, and the most likely reason you'd maybe pick one over the other is based on the hitting the income limits. Um, but but generally, it, it has to be final. Otherwise, you are out of luck. Okay, so that's it. So that's that would be the relevant to international adoption. Then. Yeah. All right, you are listening to Creating a Family, talk about adoption and infertility. We are so glad to have you with us today. We are talking about the adoption tax credit. This is our annual adoption tax credit show. We primarily keep in touch with our audience through our weekly e-newsletter. We have a two, week, two newsletters every week, one for adoption and one for infertility. We tell you about the latest developments and as well as the upcoming week's blog and show topics as they're relevant. Uh, and we would love to have you be a part of that. To sign up for our newsletter, you can just go to any page on our site, and it's at the top of the top right-hand side. So please, please join us. We'd love to have you. Um, Becky, you had talked about uh, documentation. So what supporting documents are required and and what's and, and I wanted to make it a distinction. A number of years ago, um, supporting documents were supposed to have been submitted at the time the adoption tax credit was was sent in. Is that still the case, or at this point do you, are you only submit the, the supporting documents if requested, Becky? At this point right now, since um, the Form 8839 is eligible for electronic filing, you are not required to send the documentation in with your return. Um, the only time that you will um, have to send the documentation is if you receive a letter from the IRS saying that your return is under review for the adoption tax credit, and each each different type of adoption um, requires uh, a little bit different documentation. So um, for, I'm going to start with foster adoption. For okay. a special needs um, foster care adoption where the child is declared special needs according to the state, um, the two things that you need to put in that envelope that I recommend, and mark IRS is number one, is the final judgment of adoption. And number two is the adoption assistance eligibility termination, which in English that is the subsidy agreement where the child is declared special needs according to the state um, through foster care. Now each state has a different criteria as to uh, what qualifies as special needs, um, and you can get a hold of myself or Josh 
and we can, you know, tell you what is the special needs criteria for your state. Now, for a domestic adoption, the documentation that you need to keep in that IRS marked envelope is, again, the final judgment of adoption, um, your, your home study placement agreement, and all documentation of qualified expenses. Now, each of these documents, the final judgment of adoption, uh, the subsidy agreement, or if it's the domestic, the home study agreement, they all have to be signed and dated. The IRS will not accept these documents if they are copies that are not signed and dated. And, of course, don't ever send your originals in. Make good copies, and, you know, just in case you have to send them in. And, um, and it's the same for international adoption. It is the final judgment of adoption, home study placement agreement by the authorized agency, and all documentation of paid qualified expenses. The important thing to remember is about the IRS, they are not interested in what expenses were billed for domestic or international adoption. They want to know what is paid. So, um, you know, it's, it's the same dollar amount, you know, for the credit, for, for all the different adoptions, um, the the only difference on that is uh, on you know of course on the foster care special needs adoption you're not going to have any expenses, but you still need to make sure you have your documents, and that that was the big issue in 2010 and 11, is um, either you know the wrong documentation was sent in. Or um, because when your return gets to the IRS, documentation goes one direction and your tax return goes another direction, and, and sometimes they don't come back together. And so you were required to send in more documentation. And so we, we learned a few things to, to help adoptive families and, and agencies to help them, you know, if they uh, were requested to send in more documentation. Um, one of the things that I highly recommend to everyone, if they do have to send in more documentation, again, make sure it's good copies. Do not send your originals in. And whoever is the primary taxpayer on the tax return, put their Social Security number at the top of every page in red Sharpie. That way, if the documentation is separated, that it will have a better chance of getting back to where it originally needs to be with that tax return, with that person or that family claiming the adoption tax credit. Yeah, and on every page that needs to be because they often, if, even if it's stapled, they will unstaple it and or they can unstaple it, and it gets, and then you get pages that are lost. Okay, correct. Yeah, it was a nightmare in the past, or certainly one year. That was the year, though, it was um, refundable. Go ahead, Josh. Hey, yeah, the, I, I, there's two things I want to stress um, to follow up on what um, uh, what Becky just said. The first is um, if you don't listen to it all or you don't track it well, check out the 2011 instructions for Form 8839 and Table 1 in there. highlights everything. That's what they officially came down with, with as the documentation options that the IRS will accept for the adoption tax credit broken down by different types of adoption. So table one of the 2011 instructions for form 8839, great place to go to. Um, the second thing is 
special needs adoption, it needs to be determined as special needs by a state. We know of situations where folks have adopted privately children who have disabilities who may meet the state's definition of special needs, but the state never actively determined it. That child is not special needs without that adoption assistance. If there's no active determination by the state and they enter into an agreement and you apply for special needs, you will not be considered special needs. Um, Josh, I have a question that, on that. Go ahead. Because we've, we hear that question as well. Yeah. Um, and and it, it occurs in a number of different ways. One, a, yeah. uh, but the one that I see more often is somebody adopting an infant at birth that never entered foster care, but the child may have significant special needs. Is there a way to retroactively go back to the state, even though the child was not in, the, the child was adopted as an infant and never entered foster care, is there a way to retroactively go back and get a determination of special needs status by the state? Not if the adoption's finalized. If someone was in that scenario and called me, I would say what they need to do is apply for SSI before the, the adoption's finalized. If SSI is granted to the child, um, prior to finalization, then the adoptive parent's state of residence is where the agency or the parent should apply for adoption assistance. And then once that's determined, um, and it would likely um, be considered special needs at that point, then um, and then adopt with the adoption assistance. But if adoption's already finalized, you you can't go back on that. Um, the only reason it would make a difference for the purpose of the tax credit is if the family paid less than 13190 or for this year, 13400 adoption tax credit. All special needs does is get you to the full amount. Um, so if, if someone was adopting a child in your scenario and they paid 15000 for the adoption tax credit, mm -hmm. there's no, no need the to adoption, go back. It doesn't change. No, not you said if for the adoption tax credit. You mean for the yeah, adoption? If they, yeah. If they paid 15000 for the adoption, they're already going to get the 13190 adoption tax credit because they already have expenses over that. Gotcha. Okay, so that's important to know. Yeah. And in some yeah. of the scenarios I know, um, people did not. The, the adoption itself was the child had very significant special needs. The adoption itself uh, was being handled by an agency that, that – um, well, actually, I know of a case with both – with, one with an agency and one with an attorney – uh, the fees were discounted significantly, and I don't think either adoption costs more than three or four thousand dollars. I really I don't know exactly. Right. So and that, and that definitely cases, happened. Yeah. So yeah. that, that would be is, a scenario where they would yeah. it, their best bet, if that happens before the finalization, is apply for Social Security SSI. What's the I stand for? Income? No. SSI. What's Supplemental it? Security Income. Supplemental. Supplemental yeah. security income. Uh, and they should probably call, contact me, you know, and I can tell them the steps that are needed to take. Right. Okay. Excellent. Well, I think it's exactly yeah. who I, I sent them to was to you, but I'm afraid at yeah. this point, I think in both scenarios, the adoption had been finalized. In fact, they probably did call you, and uh, you probably told yeah. them, hmm, too bad. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. The, other thing, the other thing I just want to stress also, international adoptions are never special needs. Thank you, I'm Josh. I'm really glad you back yeah. where I was going. Okay, yeah. perfect. Thank you, Becky, yeah. and thank you, Josh. 
Um, uh-huh. And we do realize, uh, so that we don't, I don't get uh, emails. It's not that we are saying to to you parents who have adopted children with special needs from abroad that your children right. don't have special needs. That is not what we're saying. We are, however, saying that for purposes of the United States federal government adoption tax credit, the the, the IRS code does not recognize special needs. Well, that's not the right way to say it. They recognize a special need. They do not. Uh, they do not for adoption tax credit purposes. Uh, they only uh, special needs that are uh, recognized are those that are uh, from determined by state by the U.S. states. All right, Thank excellent. You, John. That is exactly what I was getting ready to say. Is what you and I consider special needs is not necessarily what the IRS considers special needs. Um, because for the criteria for the IRS special needs, it is more hard to place. There, There is some, you know, uh, special circumstances, you know, in different states um, with sibling groups and, you know, um, some, some states have, have disability. But um, I, I agree wholeheartedly. It's, it's not about... Um, it's not that we don't care or that they don't care about their child's special needs. Um, it is just they have a different criteria as far as uh, in the foster care system what each state considers to be special needs or hard to place. So, and, now- and, and Josh mentioned it earlier, you know, a, a lot of international adoptions are what we would consider special needs, but for IRS purposes, um, international adoption are for expenses only. But does it really matter in the case, uh, because there, it, I don't know of a single international adoption that's less than 13000 I'm sure that there are some, but the vast majority are well over 13000 So given that their, their expenses are already there, Becky, does it really matter whether or not your child has a special needs designation that the IRS recognizes? The only time that that would actually matter, Dawn, is say they received a bunch of grants because um, when you receive a grant, um, it is not taxable income, but the grants have to come off the top of your expenses. So just say for an example, you had $25,000 in expenses, which is not hard to do on an international adoption. Mm-hmm. Um, what has to happen is if you received 10, um, let's just say you received 15000 in grants, um, so you would only qualify for $10,000 would be the only that you could, you know, apply for the adoption tax credit because the, that grant money has to come off the top. So if you had 25000 expenses and you received 15000 in grants, um, you would only qualify for 10000 of that adoption tax credit. Okay, yes, yeah, so that would make a difference there. I can see your point. All right, excellent. You are listening to Creating a Family. Today we're this is our annual adoption tax credit show. Creating a Family has the largest adoption and infertility communities on the social network and they would be even better if you joined us. There are three ways to connect with us on Facebook. You can uh, connect with our, uh, like our page, which is goes by Creating a Family. We also have a very large and very active support group. Uh, it is a private, not, no, yes, it's private. That's closed. I think closed is the right word. Closed uh, Facebook group, so you have to request to join, which we will let you. It also means that no one other than people in the group can see your posts. 
your post that you make in that. Um, and we also you can also connect with me personally, dawn.davenport1. We are very active on Pinterest and Twitter, and we go by creating a family on both of those. So you can easily find us there. We got a couple of questions about failed expenses for a failed domestic adoption. And by let me define what is meant by, in terms of, we're going to talk about uh, dissolved adoptions in a minute. But right now I'm talking about where there was a birth mother match, or an expectant mom match, I should say, and expenses were incurred by the adoptive family, but the uh, after birth, the uh, mother decided to parent and not place. The uh, adoptive parents were out the money. I'm going to read the uh, one of the questions. We've got three of them, but this one, uh, I'm going to read just one. This one is from, by, uh, from Bonnie. We were matched with a birth mom in October of 2014, and the baby was born at the end of November. After signing placement agreements the necessary pa- and the necessary paperwork, we took her home for 20 days, and then she was reclaimed by her birth mom. We had already spent close to 15000 although 8000 remains, and another 8000 remains with the agency and can be used towards another adoption. Can any of this be claimed for the credit? Uh, what do we need to be aware of when trying to make this claim? Uh, let's start with you, Josh, on this one. Well, right now, the first thing I want to really clarify with non-completed, uh, I guess, or uh, yeah, non-completed domestic infant adoptions, is there doesn't, doesn't need to be a match. That there's no requirement about there being a match. Okay, so I just want to make that really clear for other people other than Bonnie. Um, she can claim credits for anything that she paid in 2013 for this whole adoption process on her 2014 taxes. If all 15000 of it was paid in 2014, she can claim that as a credit when she files her 2015 taxes a year from now. So that's sort of... What if she doesn't? What, what if she never is able to adopt? Uh it, is, is it never required that an adoption be finalized for uh, in order to uh, claim the credit, Josh? Correct. That's true. It does not have to be final. Um, however, if she does pursue another adoption, either right now or maybe she takes a break of a couple of years, this this credit that she's claimed for her non-completed adoption now will count against future okay. credit that she can claim. Um, for another attempt. So, so in that, it's essence, it's yeah. the money spent per attempt, and uh, yeah. and so once and once that, if she is successful two years from now, let's say, yeah. she can, and if she's taking it now, she doesn't get an additional, whatever it's going to be then, $13,000, dollars Right. Okay. But she if she then the goes three years from now and does a second so. adoption, she would get credit for the second adoption. Okay. Interesting. Something else that you can also do, um, I agree with what Josh had to say. Um, another option is you can take those uh, failed adoption expenses and add those to a second um, successful adoption. Okay, yeah, that's yeah, that's what I think is I understood him. Okay, how does money treated? We, we have been doing a lot of talking as of late. On the on both on creating a family, I was blogging on it this week on crowdfunding. And I've been blogging a lot about the pros and cons to fundraising for adoption. 
And so one of the questions that we get is, how is the money that comes in, let's say through, well, this week's blog was crowdfunding, so crowdfunding or donations from family and friends, how is that money treated, Becky, by the IRS, and, and, and how does that impact the taxes owed by the family adopting? If if it is a gift from family and friends and 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 others, um, you you are not uh, you do not it is not taxable income. Um, that's the one thing to remember. And like I said earlier, as far as grants, the grants is not taxable income, um, but it does have to come off the top of the expenses um, of the adoption expenses. Um, you know, if if someone is selling jewelry, I mean, then obviously if, you know, or, you know, whatever they're selling, I mean, then it would, you know, obviously be a Schedule C and expenses, you know, kind of thing. But but as far as, as gifts, that they are just exactly that. They are gifts. Um, you And you do not require to file a gift tax return until you hit 14000 But it does reduce your... Uh, the, the, it does reduce your eligible expenses. Is that correct? Correct. All right, and that would re- and that would apply regardless of where the donation came from, whether it came from GoFundMe or one of the other crowdfunding things where you don't even know the donors. Although most often people do know the donors that are giving there, or whether it's your grandfather that is giving you the money. Either case, it well, is. if it's if it's a grandfather, then no, it does not go off the expenses does not go off the top of the expenses. The, the main thing that comes off the top of the expenses would be grants. Okay, but in, in no case would crowdfunding, the GoFundMe stuff is not a grant. The uh, donation from Grandpa um, Bob is not a grant. So those do not, if I'm understanding you correctly, then don't come off, the, uh, they don't reduce your uh, expenses, your Correct. eligible I, expenses. I, go ahead, Josh. I, I, in, the, in the years where they were looking at everybody, in 2010 and 11. They did. We do know of at least one family that we talked to, and there may be other families that, you know, had money given or donated by a relative where it wasn't an issue. You know, one of the things is we hear of problems. We don't hear of people yeah. that have no problems. They don't call us up and say everything went great. Yeah, I um, wanted you to know. We, got yeah, it. first week uh, I filed. <laughs> yeah, we um, we do know at least one family where um, they needed money really quickly for a private adoption. And um, a family member gave that money with the expectation that the money would be paid back. But when the IRS reviewed it, they considered that a gift and were not allowing that for the qualified adoption expenses. Um, The advice we have, and I can get more details. um, Like I said, I'm not in my office, so I can't pull up, you know, old emails I have from back then. Um, But the advice we had is, write something that, that that there will be an expectation that it is technically a loan and maybe, you know, pay some of the money back so there's a track record of paying back some of that money. If the IRS were to look at it, you could show that it was not a straight gift and um, that there are expectations to pay it back. I know a lot of families say, you know, we're going to get this tax credit, so we're going to use that money to pay back the gift, that, you know, the loan exactly. slash gift exactly. that we got from the relative but the IRS, is, you know, at least in this one case, was saying, no, 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 you're not going to pay it back because a lot of people don't pay back family members. Um, and I understand their point of view, but those things can help with that if, you're, if the IRS ever does look into your situation. 
Okay. Yeah, that makes you know, a lot of people use the adoption tax credit with the expectation that they're going to either borrow money on their credit card, which is you know, not, not, we're not recommending that, but uh, or borrow money from take out a loan, or and, and pay pay it back with the um, or borrow from family members and pay it back. So you're exactly right. So make sure that it's clear is what you're saying if that's the intent. Yeah. All right, l- let's talk a little about adoption dissolutions, uh, sometimes also known as adoption disruption. The technical term that, that we try to use is adoption. If the adoption is finalized we uh, and parents decide that they are not going to be able to parent that child, they, the technical term we use is uh, they dissolve that adoption. Now, the question I have is this. Let's assume that that family, um, and let's say, adopted the child in 2013. They received the adoption tax credit. In 2014, they have made the decision to dissolve the adoption. Um, They uh, go back to their agency. Their agency finds another home study qualified family, and the child is adopted by the second family. Does is the second family eligible for the adoption tax credit, even though the child already technically had received the the fam the first family had already gotten an adoption tax credit for that child? Uh, Josh. Yes, absolutely. Okay, but, then uh, Becky, my question. <laughs> oh, go ahead, Josh. I was interrupting. Go on. Yeah, I mean it's it's a new adoption. It's a new family who is adopting and claiming the credit for their adoption. All right, and and then the child would, if if the child enters foster care and is adopted out of foster care, it would be treated as a foster care adoption. If the child goes back to the original agency and the agency finds a new family for that child, the child never enters foster care, then it would be treated as a domestic adoption. Am, am I correct on that, Josh? Right. I mean, if if the, the second family that adopts gets adoption assistance for the child, then they're considered special needs. If not, then it's only qualified adoption expenses. All right. Now, Becky, I have a question then. If the, if it all happened very quickly where the child was adopted and the adoption was dissolved within the same year, would the original adopting family still be eligible for the credit for the expenses that they incurred for the adoption if they subsequently, within the same year, dissolve that adoption? Um, I would say probably yes, um, but some things would have to go with um, the second family that adopted them um, because they because what would happen is the Social Security number, the second families, when they filed and if it was final in 2014 also, the second adoption, then that Social Security number is going to hit, and one of two things is going to happen. Either their return is going to reject um, because that Social Security has already been, Social Security number has already been used, um, or the return can go paper and attach. This is what I would do in this situation. The second family, I would send their return in with an explanation that this is um, the second adoption. Um, We are the second adoptive family of this child. And here is the documentation that we have to prove that it was final in 2014. Now, what the IRS will do with the first one, I don't have an answer for that. 
Um, we, I, I would assume that, you know, because those expenses were incurred for the adoption of the child, of the first, for the first adoption. So I, I would assume that the first family would get it. And the, the second family would probably get it also, but there would be a little more paperwork to do. Would and, it be easier, I, cleaner, if the second family filed the following year so it would not, or would it flag it equally because it would still be the same Social Security number? Um, and, Josh, if you have an answer to that, go ahead. I know I, you were trying to say I, something. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I mean, you have to file it the year you finalize. End of story. So waiting a year is not correct. It's it's the wrong thing to do. Um, what I would say is if you're worried that it's going to be tricky and you were the second family, um, I wouldn't, you know, I would do the letter like Becky suggested as well as, you know, the, the final court decree. I might also include a copy of the TPR um, or the termination of parental rights, the thing, you know, anything that you have from the court showing that the first adoptive family's parental rights have ended um, as, you know, that might be an extra piece of information that might be useful in, in this scenario. Absolutely. Sometimes that you have some control over when the adoption is finalized, though. Sometimes yeah. you don't. But especially this is a fairly far-fetched scenario in the sense that we're talking about a very an adoption that disrupts, uh, dissolves very quickly, and, and yeah. then the yeah. second adoption happens very quickly. Uh, but sometimes, especially if if it's towards the end of the year, you do have some control over uh, when the adoption would be finalized. That's what I was actually referring to. I would like to take a moment to thank a few more of our gold sponsors and to remind you that it is through their generous support that we can bring you this show as well as all the thousands upon thousands of resources we provide at Creating a Family. Well, that may be a little exaggeration, thousands for sure, that we provide at Creating a Family. We have Nightlight Christian Adoption with offices in California, Colorado, South Carolina, and adoption programs throughout the world as well as a domestic infant program and their Snowflakes Embryo Donation Embryo Adoption Program. Program. We also have Spence Chapin. They are a full-service adoption agency bringing over 100 years of experience in a new direction. They are creating permanent, loving families for children most in need, which includes older children, siblings, and, and kids with special needs. Spence Chapin has eliminated the, fi the financial barrier by providing no-fee adoption services for families who can consider opening up their lives and their hearts uh, to uh, this special population of kiddos. And last but not least, we have uh, Independent Adoption Center, whose mission is to provide open adoption placement and counseling to birth and adoptive families. They work with families in all 50 states and are fully licensed in California, New York, Florida, Texas, and more. <clears throat> Excuse me. What happens, Josh, if you're, I mean, I'm sorry, this would be Becky, if your tax liability is less than the credit? In other words, how long can you carry over the adoption tax credit? The adoption tax credit um, is the adoption tax credit for uh, 2015, of course, is 13400 And what happens is the adoption tax credit comes in and helps take care of that tax liability. Now, if you have less than that tax liability, what happens is you will use that portion whatever it is, of your tax liability, of that adoption tax credit on that year, and then you can carry it forward for up to five years. 
So it is still a great credit. Um, instead of getting it all at once, like you did in 2010 and 11, you get it in pieces now according to your tax liability. And everyone's tax situation can change from year to year. So one year you may use 3,000 of it, and the next year you may use 4,000 of it. Um, whatever, whatever year that you uh, originally claimed that credit, that is the amount that you will have to use. And as I said, you use it for that year and then up to five years. Okay, excellent. Um, I want to cover just some uh, special situations that we, I'm sure you guys hear these questions a lot as well. Um, is the adoption tax credit applicable for, uh, and Josh, I'm asking you this one, step-parent adoptions? It is not. It is not for your spouse's child. If you are not married, then yes, but if you're married, no. Okay, what about second-parent adoptions for same-sex couples? Becky? Not if they're married. Okay, you know, it's one of those <laughs> frustrating things. You know, uh, okay, but so if, let me make sure I understand that. If they are married, then the, well, if they're married, they probably adopted jointly and they would both be on the adoption decree. But assuming that that is, not, case, if they're, go ahead, John. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Yeah. They may have gotten married in a state that doesn't, uh, yeah. that does allow it, but may reside in a state that does not allow a joint adoption. I definitely talked to folks in that scenario. Yeah, I Correct. have to, actually. All right, yeah. so if they're married, they are not able to claim the credit. But if same-sex couples are not married and they're doing a second-parent adoption, then they are eligible. Did I get that right? Correct. Okay. Correct, Correct. and it also applies to heterosexual couples also. Yes. Well, yeah, and I should have – thank you. Thank you for pointing that out. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right, and what about for embryo donation, which some people also called embryo adoption? Josh, is the adoption tax credit um, eligible for our, our embryo donations, a.k.a. embryo adoption, eligible for the adoption tax credit? Not to my knowledge. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't believe so either. I was asking that. Becky, yeah. I, I am relatively certain it's not, but uh, Becky, any thoughts on that one? Um, I do not believe it is either. Um, I know there was two states that um, were had some legislation where they were trying to um, make a readoption possible. Um, in that case, uh, you know, after the child is born, they do a readoption. Um, that that would be a gray area, is what I would call it. Interesting. Yeah, I. I... As far as I know, I, I don't know of anyone, but that's I, I'm, I'm open to being. If somebody uh, somebody send us a comment on the blog tomorrow, if you know of something different, and I tell you what I will do, I um, will also ask uh, Kimberly Tyson. She was a guest on a recent show. She is the uh, director of the Embryo Adoption Awareness Center, and I will ask her um, that question as well. <clears throat> I, I think the answer is no, but we'll see if she knows. All right. Um, Back, way back in the day when it was uh, the adoption tax credit was uh, refundable, the first year that happened, there were huge delays when people submitted their uh, their, their uh, taxes before they got their credit, and there was a lot of grousing about that. Um, Becky, what is the status uh, of last year? Were there any? Did the adoption tax credit cause any significant delays? No, it, it did not, Dawn. Um, last year, out of the hundreds of tax returns, adoption tax credit returns, 
um, that I do every year along with, you know, the hundreds of other returns. Um, I only had two um, that the IRS requested documentation. And, of course, that was a huge difference from 2010 and 2011 when it was uh, refundable. Um, It was was a massive documentation um, issue. Um, but, But as of, you know, the last two years, you know, there has been very, very little issues at all. Um, of course, you're still going to get a bigger refund with it, non-refundable, if you have tax liability, because, you know, it's it's going to take care of your tax liability before it ever gets to your withholding. So what happens is your child tax credit, which, you know, at the top of the page is non-refundable, since your tax liability is taken care of, it bumps down to the bottom to additional child tax credit, which is refundable, and and it and it you you get your withholding back. So um, you know you you still have you know significant bigger refunds, you know when the adoption tax credit is doing what it's supposed to do. You know, I'm really glad you pointed that out. I, you know, I think there's still quite a bit of confusion between what your tax liability is and what your withholdings are, but that's the topic of another show. We, or actually, we, we've talked about that in, in past, uh, uh, our annual past adoption tax credit shows, but that's a, that's a really valid point. Josh, well, actually, for both of you, I have this question. You know, Senator Mary Landrieu was, out of um, Louisiana was a, a huge supporter of adoption issues in general, and she did not get reelected, and so she is now gone from the Senate. Um, I'm just curious to know how you think her loss, uh, her absence, is uh, is going to affect the stability of the or the viability of the adoption tax credit. Let's start with you, Josh, and then and then Becky. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that as well. I mean. Obviously, Senator Landro was very um, involved with all aspects of adoption. Um, for the adoption tax credit on the Senate side, I do think that um, we're, we're quite fortunate. I think uh, Senator Blunt from Missouri and Senator Casey from Pennsylvania um, will ably take up the mantle on that side. I think a bigger loss, um, I mean, it was going to be a loss either way, um, but Representative Braley was the the person that actually first introduced a refundable um, bill back in must have been 2011, um, and he ran for Senate in, in Iowa and lost. Um, so I, more concerning is who's going to introduce it in in um, the House. Um, but right now, you know, it, with tax reform being a, a situ, you know, uh, being on the table, um, that's always a concern. Um, when Representative Camp introduced his budget, was it last year or two years ago, um, he actually eliminated it. Now, no one went anywhere with his budget, um, and he has since retired. Um, but, you know, it, the tax credit itself could disappear. But we um, are already working. Um, um, I'm on the executive committee for the adoption tax credit working group, and we are already working on trying to get um, bills reintroduced for the new Congress now, that would make it refundable. Um, but I think it's going to be a hard go in the next two years with the White House and Congress being at, at you know, on different political parties. Yeah. 
on that um, not-so-hopeful note, we will end uh, to our audience. If you have enjoyed this show and would like to help us grow, please rate this podcast on iTunes. We are the uh, top uh, uh, show on on iTunes in this area. We are the one they recommend, um, and uh, we'd like to keep that. Uh, So please consider giving us either a star rating or or if you're feeling particularly generous, write us a comment. We would truly appreciate that. Thank you, Josh Kroll, with the North American Council on Adoptable Children and Becky Wilmoth with Bill's Tax Service for being our guest today on Creating a Family. Uh, if our, To our audience, if you want to participate in a discussion of the topics of this show, please check out my blog tomorrow at creatingafamily.org slash blog. Or you could just go to our homepage, creatingafamily.org, and the blog will, is, is on, the, on that page as well. To get more information about either of our guests, uh, you can go to their websites. You can go to for uh, Bill's Tax Service, which is uh, where Becky Wilmoth is. You can, their website is, and it's going to take me, you have to listen here. I know if you're not at your desk, just listen and it will make sense. Or you can Google Bill's Tax Service Becky Wilmoth or just Google Bill's Tax Service Adoption Tax Credit, and they will pop right up. But here is the uh, here is their URL, Centralia dash il dash tax service dash dot com so centralia dash il for illinois dash tax service dot com and to get more information about josh josh kroll or about any of their they have a section at uh, the um, at NACAC site uh, on the adoption tax credit you can go to their website which is NACAC, n-a-c-a-c dot org I would also say that we have uh, extensive resources at Creating a Family on the Adoption Tax Credit as well, and uh, you can find that by going to our website, creatingafamily.org, click on the word uh, Adoption in the menu, and click on A to Z Resources, and then go to the Adoption Tax Credit. Thank you so much for joining us today, and I look forward to talking with you again next week. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And now, an ad from Dad. All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations.